Please turn in your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9, these are not your typical locusts. What is the typical image that comes to your mind when I talk about the word locust? It should be a grasshopper, because that's basically what locusts are. The unique thing about locusts, though, is they can go through a transformation where their wings grow stronger and longer. They change colors and they become more aggressive in every which way. Their brain chemistry changes and so forth. What, what brings this about? What brings about this transformation? Because they're normally solitary creatures, like all grasshoppers. If there's plenty of food, you don't get lo- locust swarms. Because they're all in their own little niche and they're eating their grass blades and other things and they're happy, they're content. But if a drought comes, and here's the conditions, and all the green grass, all that that produce is is diminished and they they are brought together so that their numbers are congregating together. And perhaps you might have uh, a storm that where the waterways bring them together. It's, it's about them touching each other. And, and when, they, when they are brought together and the food is diminished and they're hungry, they start nipping at each other, at, at each other's backs, back legs. And you know what happens? There's a chemical transformation that happens. They start releasing serotonin. And as they release serotonin, they change. Again, they become far more aggressive in every which way, in in seeking food and multiplication and so forth. And they go from a sedentary life, a solitary life, I should say, to a gregarian life, where they do everything together. They were happy with their own little grass blades now that they've been brought together and they've been agitated and they're irritable and, and more aggressive. They are now a group, a mob, if you will. And they're doing everything together, especially looking for food. When they swarm like that, when they come together and they start to, start to devour everything around them and multiply, especially when rains come and grasses grow, and now they're all together. When they start to really multiply, they swarm together, and as they swarm together, they can become a plague. It's not... It can be typical for a swarm to have billions of locusts in it. And those billions of locusts can destroy crops in just hours. Massive fields can be destroyed in just hours. The largest swarm recorded in the history books was right here in the United States in 1875. With the Rocky Mountain locusts numbering in the trillions... You heard me. Not billions, but trillions. The swarm was so massive, the clouds so vast, that it covered an area the size of Colorado. That's how many locusts were in the sky at that time. These locusts ate not only the crops and everything green, they also ate the wool off of sheep's backs, leather harnesses on the oxen and horses, wooden handles on tools, and even people's clothes. When I consider locusts in this passage in Revelation 9, knowing that these are demons 
who are like locusts. The statement of the Apostle Peter comes to mind from 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is about devouring people's lives, people's souls, for all eternity. It only takes the release of serotonin from one locus to start the transformation process, turning a group of solitary grasshoppers into a gregarian, swarming, consuming plague of locusts. Keep that in mind as we look at our text in Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. Hear God's word. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of a sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days men will seek death but will not find it. They will long to die but death will elude them. The locusts look like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they wore something like crowns of gold and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek Apollyon. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, instruct our hearts now through your word. Enable us to receive it and rightly apply it and live by its power. Speak through me as your servant, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we prayed and went to the text, I I brought forth 1 Peter 5, verse 8, which says, Be alert and of sober mind. Be alert and of sober mind, which means that you are aware of what is actually going on and how to rightly address it. In warfare, that is the utmost of importance, that you actually know what's going on so that you can rightly address it. If you're ignorant, if you're being deceived, 
you're likely going to lose that battle. And if you continue down that path, you're going to lose battle after battle after battle. You need to know what's going on. You need to have good intelligence so that you can act appropriately in response. Well, if you don't know what is really going on, how are you going to then address a critical matter that is brought before you? I was reading a story about a woman who was from another country. She had lost her job, and there was a job opening similar to what she had done before in this country. She didn't think much about the interview process, so she went, and she was kidnapped, and she was sold into slavery. She talks about the torment that she went through during that time under her captors how it tormented her psychologically and spiritually, how she wished that she could have died, but she was kept alive. And eventually she was able to escape and fight against this trafficking, this slave trafficking that's going on today, even in our own nation, our civilized, so to speak, nation. If you are ignorant or duped regarding how the devil operates, how will you be able to defend yourself against him? The only thing the devil cares about is using you. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't love you. He doesn't value you. It's just about how he can use you. How will you be able to overcome apart from the power of Christ Jesus? I'm thinking especially of unbelievers here maybe those who are listening elsewhere, regarding what we just read. I'm, I'm thinking of those who are not sealed by the righteous atoning blood of Jesus Christ, trusting in his salvation for your souls. And if you're not trusting in Jesus, if, if you do not have the power of Christ, do you know what's coming for you? Do you know what's coming for you? These locusts here in Revelation are not your typical locusts. So do they resemp, res, uh, represent um, army helicopters? I remember one, several commentators, that was the big thing, that the locusts were like Apache helicopters where you have the, the blades whirring around, kind of looking like a crown, reflecting the sunlight off of, off of their off of their blades and kind of looks like women's hair flowing as they fly through the sky. You see the man's face through the windshield. They're armed to the teeth. There were other things that they brought up that they thought that these were Apache helicopters on patrol or inflicting their, uh, their, their power. But the problem there is they, they kill, they destroy. Uh, the issue here is not necessarily destruction but torment torment. These are demons. The image of an Apache helicopter does not match the spiritual picture of judgment taking place in this text. So we need to remember in prophecy this principle as we look at things like this. It's the already not yet principle. There are things that are already going to be unfolding or presented to the prophet who's making the prophecy in his day. And there are going to be other things that are going to be revealed through the process of time, to the, through the disclosure of time as time presses forward. 
the, the reference, um, one passage that, that helps us with this, if you have your Bibles open, you can turn to Daniel 7. The prophet Daniel prophesied about the four beasts representing four kingdoms in Daniel 7. The first kingdom represented is Babylon, in which Daniel was currently residing as the counselor to the king through the providential work of God. Daniel 7 verse 4 says, The first beast in his vision was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man, and, and, the, and the heart of a man was given to it. The first beast represents King Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom, Babylon. The reference to King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom being like a lion with eagle's wings speaks to its authority. As the lion is the king of the beast, the eagle is lord of the skies. The king in his kingdom has this authority over the nations given to him by God, and then they lose it. As Daniel watches the vision, the king's wings are torn off, referring to the king being grounded, literally living like a beast of the field. God takes away King Nebuchadnezzar's ability to fly throughout the earth, conquering the nations, and brings to an end the king's effort to bask in his own glory as one who is exalted ruler over the nations. This beast's rise to human status standing on two feet like a man with a human heart given to him, refers to Nebuchadnezzar's deliverance by God's mercy from his beastly existence as he was given insight into the true nature of God. Sounds a bit like effectual calling, doesn't it? Well, this happened in Daniel chapter 4 as far as what happened in King Nebuchadnezzar, and this prophecy is later on in Daniel chapter 7. Although John's vision in Revelation borrows heavily from the prophet Joel's description of a locust plague on Israel in the first two chapters of Joel, there are also explained elements here in Daniel 7 that can apply to John's vision of the demonic locusts. You just heard the imagery then of King Nebuchadnezzar, a winged eagle, right? Uh, Are those elements here in John's vision in Revelation? You have lion's teeth, which shows the ferocity and authority of, of uh, these demonic, this demonic horde. And you have the wings of locusts, not necessarily the wings of eagles, but the wings of locusts, which sound like chariots with many horses going to, into battle. So are we talking about a kingdom of men here who are driven by a demonic horde? wouldn't be the first time as you think of the demoniac in Gardenia who was filled with a legion of demons. And as soon as those demons were driven out of him, they went to the swine. And what did they do to the swine, those that were unclean? They drove them into the sea, into destruction. You have right there a picture of what John is talking about here in this text. How these demons that are going to be unleashed are going to drive people to despair, even to their own destruction, if they are not, if they do not belong to the kingdom of God, if they are not sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, 
as we continue on, if you look at verses 7 through 10, we're back in uh, Revelation 9, 7 through 10, these locusts are described as horses prepared for battle. Well, locusts look like grasshoppers because that's basically what they are. I've heard some commentators say that the locust's head looks like a horse's head. And although I think that's a stretch, I can see the similarity. But that's not what's going on here. These are not tiny little locusts that we're talking about. These are massive creatures, much larger. They are, they are like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and you have the crown representing authority and power. They have something like, uh, like crowns like gold. Uh, and their faces were like the faces of men. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. We had already addressed that. But their hair was like the hair of a woman. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. Impenetrable, undefeatable is the imagery there. And the sound of their wings were like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. Theologian... Uh, Simon Kistemacher quotes an Arabian proverb regarding how they viewed locusts. He says, "Locusts have the th- this proverb says locusts have the thigh of a camel, legs of an ostrich, wings of an eagle, breasts of a lion, and tail like vipers." Kistemacher states, "Here is a multifaceted symbol depicting demonic creatures seeking to wage war and overpower anyone." and anything in their way. I doubt if any of us have been through a locust plague in our time. They still happen. There was one in 2019 in East Africa, and there have been some since. But it is devastating. When they come in, they come in like an army, and they destroy everything. And then there's usually nothing for you to eat because they've ruined all your crops. They've devoured it all. So you suffer as well. So the image that they overpower anyone and anything in their way, the only one restraining their hunger, according to John and Revelation, their hunger for conquest, conquest is the risen Jesus Christ. He's the one who restrains them. So here in Revelation 9, 1 through 11, we are looking at creatures, beings that act like locusts in some ways, but they obviously don't look like locusts. So remember, we need to be alert and sober-minded here. We need to have and practice discernment as God's people. This is a daily endeavor, and trust me, as I was working through this text, seeing all the different perspectives of and interpretations of this text. I was kind of like Bill Cosby's Noah getting the last hippos on the ark. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but Noah's, you know, he's in the final day of the last week. God's about ready to bring judgment upon the world, and Noah has the last two hippos that he's putting up the ramp on the ark, and as he's going up there, God calls down Noah. Noah says, yes. He says, you've got two female hippos there. You need to go back and get a male. And Noah's had it. He's worked hard. He's tried to do everything that the Lord has commanded. He says, I'm, I'm finished. I'm done. You, you know, instead of me getting one, you just change one. Why don't you do that? And then we'll be good. And God says, you know, I don't work that way. 
And so Noah starts complaining. Well, I found myself kind of complaining a little bit to God this week as I was working through this message. Because I was like, why are there so many different interpretations? Why can't you just have one? He says, do the work. So I bring it back to the issue of discernment. Be of sober mind. Be discerning. Especially in God's word and and what it says. What it means. Discernment would call upon us to do what if we are in doubt? Well, it calls upon us anyway to interpret Scripture with Scripture. Right? So you have your Bibles. Although these demons are like locusts in their destructive, consuming hunger, they are also different. Proverbs 30, verse 27, you heard a message on that a while back regarding the wisdom of four animals, four creatures. Locusts were one of them. Proverbs 30, verse 27 says, Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. When you look at Revelation 9, verse 1, John writes, The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth, had fallen as past tense here. The angel has been cast out of heaven to earth. And this is because of the presence of Jesus Christ in this world and his victory over the evil one. The devil has lost his authority in heaven, his place in heaven. He has been removed because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished on our behalf. John notes then in verse 11 of Revelation 9 that he is called, this, this star that has fallen, Abaddon in Hebrew and Apollyon in Greek. Both translate as destroyer, destroyer, and refer to Satan who comes into this world to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. Satan may masquerade as an angel of light, but his real nature is that of a liar and a murderer, a destroyer of life. This destroyer, Satan, is king over these demons. Again, locusts, do they have a king? No, they do not. They do not possess a king, but these demons do. Now notice that their king, Satan, did not possess the key to the abyss. He was given the key to the abyss. And I'm looking to heaven going, why? Why would you do that? I guess it's the same question Job could have asked when God allowed Satan to torment him. He didn't kill him. And Job surely wished to die, but he definitely tormented him by taking away all his wealth, destroying his family, and even harming him physically, bringing sores, terrible sores to his body. Job wished he, he never had been born. The torment was horrible, and yet he wasn't allowed to die. Why? Because this was not God's judgment upon Job. This was God's redemptive plan. That Job would see that the only way of salvation is not through anything he could accomplish in and of his own power. His only way and means of salvation is through God himself. Only God can save him. 
And so why allow these demons to go out into the world? Well, it's from Jesus Christ. It's on one hand, it's for his plan of redemption to draw his people to himself, that they would cry out to him and and trust in his power to overcome. And for those who will rebel against him, who harden their hearts against him, it is judgment. Oftentimes, uh, when you think about people who are uh, against God and against Christ Jesus, their lives can get increasingly worse over time, even to the point of despair. Uh, They want to continue living, but they're despairing at their situation. And that is a precursor of what the greater judgment is going to be. Anyway... Once these demons are out, they wreak havoc, not on those who belong to Christ Jesus per se, but those who don't belong to Jesus. Now before I go any further, I've got to tell you that there are several commentators, including John Calvin, who believe that the fallen star refers to Satan and the locusts refer to the Islamic movement uh, and their leaders, which I find intriguing, but not necessarily comprehensive as the fundamental principle behind this can suffice for many applications. How might they draw this conclusion? Well, first, they say that the smoke that darkened the sun and the air of verse 2 has been applied to the teachings of Muhammad, which obscures the sun, the true light of Jesus Christ. Revelation 1, verse 16. And the air, uh, they also uh, make stale, and that's the fresh air of freedom. You see that in Second Corinthians 3, verse 17. And out of this dark cloud come locusts with the power to sting like a scorpion. In verse 4, the king Abaddon, Satan, and his ferocious army were given authority to come against only those without the seal of God in their foreheads. One commentator writes, authority was given to them as a scourge against apostate Christianity, which was similar to the authority given to King Nebuchadnezzar against ancient Israel when it wickedly departed from the ways of God. You can see that in Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 8 through 11. From an historical perspective, if you were to apply the day-for-a-year principle to the five months, that would be 150 days, Thus, if you applied the day to the year principle, that would be 150 years. Uh, You could see the reference being made to Islamic warfare against Constantinople. Constantinople was the Roman Eastern Empire that rose after the classical Roman Empire fell. And it was initially established as a Christian nation under Constantine. the the uh, Muslim Turks fought against Constantinople from 1299 to 1449 A.D., around 150 years, which matches that time frame before Constantinople eventually fell. The symbolism found in verses 7 through 9 fits the dress of these Turkish Muslims. Uh, these warriors of the Ottoman Empire who wore gold-colored yellow long turbans that would hang down to their shoulders as the national headdress of the Arabians. Hence, their turbans would flow in the wind like women's hair. But they were extremely cruel and ruthless, thus the image of the lion's teeth. 
and rode horses as they rushed. Uh, they, they actually had breastplates of iron and rode horses as they rushed swiftly into battle, implying strength and speed with the wings of locusts, uh, similar to Nebuchadnezzar's army being like a lion with eagle's wings. And when you think about how Islam started, it's intriguing because it does imply that idea that it started much like uh, a locust swarm. You had individuals who were normally solitary coming together. And as they came together, they became something different. Muhammad received visions from an angel he called Gabriel when he was about 40 years old. And these visions continued over 23 years and were placed in a book called the Quran as the last revelation of God through the last prophet. When I looked at this, I I found it very incredible that he actually had a gathering, that people followed his teaching, but they did. Uh, There are several reasons why I find it incredible. Uh, Just two of them, if the angel Gabriel is perfect and stands in the presence of God, he ought not to contradict himself. And uh, Muhammad's Gabriel reveals to him that Jesus is not the divine Son of God, but a prophet sent to guide people to the true faith, which is Islam. The Gabriel of the Bible calls Jesus the Son of God and sovereign king in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 37. The second reason I find it incredible that he would have a following is that Muhammad was illiterate. He could neither read nor write, so who wrote these visions down and how would Muhammad even know if they were accurate if he could not read what they wrote? Yet Muhammad's situation, again, was like the locusts in the sense that he was ostracized in his hometown of Mecca, because of these visions and because of his beliefs. If it weren't for his wealthy wife and his and his powerful uncle protecting him, he would have been persecuted great more greatly. Uh, But when they died, he and his followers had to move on. This is the drought, right? You get the imagery with the locusts. This is the drought. And so they gathered together and in six twenty two AD they moved to the city of Medina where they were promised the freedom to practice what they believe. So they go from drought to a flourishing land that provides for all their needs. Uh, like locusts moving from a drought area to a lush, productive, fruitful area where they are, there are plenty of resources, the movement began to expand. And when, ex- and when it expanded, it became militant with their sights on Mecca as their first prize. After several years of war, Mecca surrendered and Muhammad and his followers took over the city, destroying all the pagan idols and spreading their belief by the sword. Uh, The issue is that it did not stop there. That did not satisfy them. They continued to bring their war to the regions around them and swell in numbers, like a locust plague devouring everything in front of them, promulgating or promoting their religion through the sword, not through the word, not through acts of kindness. They were, they were ferocious, like lion's teeth. Constantinople, which was considered a Christian city, fell as the last 
uh, establishment that they sought to overtake. But when you think about the, the flow of Islam, there is always that desire to take over what? The whole world. To consume the whole world and, and to indoctrinate it with their teachings. Constantinople is now the city of Istanbul. The Ottoman Muslims overtook it. Istanbul is in northwest Turkey. Guess where all these letters are going to? Western Turkey, the seven churches of Asia Minor, which is all Muslim at this point. So I can see how John Calvin, Spurgeon, and others see these locusts as Islamic leaders and their followers, but I think from reading Revelation that Islam is only part of it, unfortunately. You have a similar scenario with Joseph Smith and the Mormons. Granted, they are obviously less militant, but still pervasive in their efforts to spread their cultic religion throughout the world, maybe even through financial efforts. You have the Jehovah's Witnesses who collectively see themselves as prophets, promoting their false teachings as God's truth. And I could go on and on. The point is this. This is the demonic world we're talking about here in Revelation. And demons know only the boundaries placed on them by God, not by man. Do you remember the seven sons of Shiva? They were casting out demons in the name of Jesus Christ and they came in this one particular house and they told the demon to get out in the name of Jesus Christ and the demon answered them. Jesus I know. I know his authority. And Paul I know. In other words, Paul's authority comes from Jesus. But I don't know you. I don't know where your authority comes from. And he beat them all up. Driving them out of the house. Demons know only the boundaries placed on them by God, not by man. Like locusts, they will not stop until either they are stopped by a greater power or they are full. Demons are always hungry and never satisfied. They are always restless because they are never at peace. Their purpose here is to keep unsealed believers in spiritual darkness so that you will die in your sin standing condemned before a holy God and everything that God has given you will be stripped away. That is why the old theologian Gilbert Tennant used to say that the greatest threat to the church is unconverted preachers. Unconverted preachers who are like caterpillars who strip away everything green. Instead of preaching the words of life, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, they feed off of the emotions and lives of the people they are supposed to serve. The only way to set people free from the deceptive power of the devil and his demons is to plead to the one, Jesus Christ, who is stronger than they are. If it is Jesus who can bind the strong man, the devil, and plunder his stuff, and it is only through his power that this can be done. Consider what the risen Jesus says to the church of Sardis, who has a reputation of being alive in the eyes of the world, but from Jesus' perspective, he tells them, you are spiritually dead or dying. 
He says, wake up. Literally in Greek, he's saying, become alert. You are sleeping at the wheel. Going 70 miles an hour down the highway. You, have, you are in, in, in severe danger. Wake up and look at what's going on. You are not aware of how dire your situation is. Become alert. Strengthen what remains. How do you strengthen what remains? Second Corinthians Chronicles 7, verse 13 through 15. We remember that God has all authority and power and dominion. And while Solomon is dedicating the temple of Israel to God, God responds, and in verse 13 says, When I shut up the heavens, this is when you turn away from me. This is when you go your own way towards apostasy. When you're dying. He says, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, not everybody, my people, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We often stop there, but that next verse is extremely important. He says, now my eyes will be open. This is God speaking. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. God is attentive to our prayers. He's watching us regarding our actions. He's listening to what we will say to Him. How do we respond? How do we respond and how will we respond as his people? What we are facing in this world is not your typical locus. It is the power of evil. And this is spiritual warfare. The one who has gained the victory is Jesus Christ. Will we not seek him? Will we not call out to him? Will we not live for him? that his will in heaven may be accomplished here on earth through us. Amen.